Are you looking for truth from God's word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Clarity Christian College, formerly known as Florida Bible College. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. whether it's a public servant or a Christian servant or however you are, that you would become a servant. And he calls them to do that. Well, the story then goes on. After he finishes that, he looks at himself and he basically says, the son of man, who he was, he said, I, I came not to be served. So I'm not looked upon as the chief. You know, maybe later on, of course, the kingdom will all get started and there you kneel bow, all that. But he says, but I really came at this time in my life. I'm a model to you to serve you. And then it goes on to say how he served us. It wasn't so much that he feeds us and heals us and all that. It's that he came to die for us. We talked about that a few moments ago. Well, you would think that's the end of the story, but you know, God is so sovereign and the picture is so big and everything he puts in scripture is so important. He now gives us a real life illustration to demonstrate that. Now, this all happened in Jericho. So now they're leaving Jericho and of course, a lot of people followed him. Of course, the 12 followed him because they're, you know, his disciples. But then he had a whole crowd of people. But as they went out of the city, quite common, they would be sitting on, along the side of the road, often poor, beggarly people. Carol and I, we've lived, as you know, on the mainland and other places. And the times we've had the opportunity to go from, from Texas into Mexico, or sometimes we've been able to go from Southern California into Mexico. And often when you do that, as you're somehow going across the bridge and you get through all of that, very soon, very, very soon, within a matter of just a few hundred yards, you will see all sorts of people that are real beggars. You're going to see people without legs. You're going to see mothers that are just emaciated with children and they have their naked children and they're holding them up to all the tourists as they walk to Tijuana or wherever they're going to and they have a little plate there, a little basket, hoping that you'd feel sorry for them to give them money. Well, that's very common in those situations. Whenever they think people are coming and going, travelers, merchants, they have money, they'll take care of us. So as Jesus is going out, there are two blind guys that are there and of course they're wanting some help. And so they're screaming out to Jesus and saying, Lord, have mercy on us. In other words, feel for us. Somehow do something, help us. And so then Jesus does something. He looks at them and he has compassion on them. And he says, what do you want me to do? And he, they said, that we could see. So Jesus then, with that compassion, he does something that in those days was kind of odd. He would, he would take his hands and he would touch them with their disease. And that's pretty significant because when you see someone that's disease, you, you want to get away from them, quarantine, wear the mask, stay away. Part of that's Old Testament too. But he wanted to show that he had power over any kind of disease and sickness, so he would just go ahead and touch them. And it said immediately they received sight. And they did what most people do properly, and they followed him. And all of us had Jesus touch us in some way. There's been a love kiss and a love touch to all of us. Even if you are on the other side of faith in Christ, he is still love touching you. And it would be good for you to follow him. Now, it doesn't mean follow him to get saved, but to, for those of you on that journey, you need to go explore him, search him out, see what we're saying from Scripture is true. And if you have trusted Christ, boy, look what he's done for you. The greatest thing he's ever done for you is forgiven you of all sin, brought you into his forever family. And now we need to follow him because he's touched you for all eternity by giving you the free gift of eternal life by faith alone. Well, that's our story. And those 12 guys, they had to learn that because they didn't do a lot of sharing. And what we're going to learn now, just four simple truths of what makes a great servant. Since he said, I want you to be a servant. And I'm hoping that you and I recognize that, yep, I, I, I don't want to be rebuked by the Lord. I don't want to have a message saying, I'm not a servant. I want to be that servant God wants me to be. And from this ser particular series, this 
passage of Scripture, there are four great truths that we could learn. Very simple. Let's look at them together, shall we? The first one we're going to look at, what makes a great leader, is being aware of needy people around you. Being aware of needy people around you. It was kind of cool because Jesus, as he went out with the crowd, there was a lot of folks around him, but they really didn't see the needy people. In fact, they did just the opposite. When the needy people, those two blind guys, says, Oh, Lord, have mercy on me. What did he do? They said, Oh, be quiet. Leave him alone. Don't, don't bother Jesus is basically what it's saying there. And so what they're really doing is saying, Shut up, needy people. Today, they may not say be quiet, needy people, but what they might be saying is, let someone else take care of the needy people. We've got other things in our little schedule or our, our little planner that we have. We've got stuff that we've got to do. Not right now, or someone else is to do that. And Jesus says, that that's not the way, but there are needy people everywhere around us. Now, here's what we need to understand. Jesus used a very significant visual of people who were blind. And a person who was blind in the Bible days... They didn't have family to take care of them often. They were, you can imagine what their fingernails must... Can you imagine what they smelt like and looked like? And they were just stinky and dirty and didn't have any social skills. There was all sorts of problems around them. And so he uses that as a visual for us. But really, needy people, they could be dressed up like you and me right today. You could be 18 inches away, one arm's length away from someone who is a needy person right now who got a, a message from the doctor, was in the supervisor's office, and they're trying to figure out whether or not to keep that person employed or not. Their son or daughter didn't come home last night or came home later. Or you smelled something on a significant immediate family's breath or you found something in a cabinet or backpack. There's needy people that are all around us. And a great servant is one who is aware that everyone has a need. And for just a moment is not to look at our needs but to look at the needs of others. And Jesus was a model of that. Now, I know that he didn't have personal needs because he was God. But on the other hand, he was also man. I'm sure he got hungry. I'm sure he was tired. I'm sure he needed a drink. In fact, Scripture said, I thirst. He ate. He slept in a boat. So he had needs too, just simple needs. But he knew that others had a greater need, and it was all about modeling before others. I need to meet their needs before my needs. Here's the second great truth we can learn from this passage on what makes a great servant, and that is being forgetful about our own limitations. Now, again, Jesus may not be the best model right now because he didn't have any real limitations other than part of his physicalness. Because he was God, he can do anything he wants. He could command the seas to be calm. But on the other sense, there is a certain degree of that that there is going to be some needs that people have. And there's going to be that time that we have to be there to help them out. And so as I look at our own limitations, I look at these firemen that are here and the, the police and others, and maybe those had to leave, but some may still be here. I got thinking about them. What needs do they really have to be a first responder? Well, first of all, they probably don't need a whole lot more training because they had to be certified and they had to be evaluated and they had to be cleared to be able to do what they can do. So they don't have any of that. They probably don't need more resources, although probably newer trucks and newer equipment and newer training, more technology would be very helpful to them, but they don't have a whole lot of limitations. But sometimes they get into a situation where they really do need help. I'm thinking about the two fire people in Southern California when the fires were raging. There were some guys that were, we might call them convicts, we might call them incarcerated, those guys were permitted to come out and they were carefully watched to help fight the fire. They didn't have enough people. Well, then they realized that the fire was circling those volunteer fire people. 
So these two firemen in a truck went to try to rescue them and to get help at the same time. And while they did, because the road was not easily to be seen through the intense smoke, that the truck veered off the road, rolled down an embankment, and both those guys were killed. It was interesting because they said that one of the men had tattooed on his arm because he was so committed to be a first responder. Limitations or not, he says, I'm going to be there. What was tattooed on his arm was the following phrase. First in, last out. I thought, wouldn't that make a great servant? I'm first in, I'm last out. No limitations. Well, as I thought more about this, there are some limitations that we might have. And here's what the Lord does. He comes alongside of us and he says, you know, even though you might have some limitations, he says, I'm going to be the grace that will give you the strength to do what I call you to do. Look at the passage I've laid out before us here. Such a great, great passage. It says, for you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh. So you don't have to be an intensely intelligent person. It says, not many mighty which means that maybe you're not very strong health-wise. Not many noble, that means you might not have all the credentials and all the education and all the certification. You might not be very prominent because of a family situation or heritage or whatever. So you're not going to be very strong. You're not going to be very might, mighty. You're not going to be very noble. Not a lot of those people are called. doesn't say they won't be called or none of them are called. It just says not many. It doesn't say not any. It just says not many. But... God has chosen, though, the foolish things of the world, people like you and me, to put to shame those who are wise. And God has chosen the weak things that are not very strong to shame those that are very strong. And the base things of the world that aren't very noble to help those that are often in great need. And why? To bring to nothing things that are that no flesh shall glory in his presence. So you don't have to have a great deal of limitations or a great deal of strength to do it. I made a list. I got this out of a book called The Purpose Driven Life and I'm going to make this part of it short because the list was so long. Listen to this. Because some of you might say, I'd love to serve, but I really can't. I don't know enough. I'm not ready to do it. I haven't been in the church long. I haven't saved long enough. There's always a place for service for you here and in the community and maybe even your family. Abraham was old and yet through Abraham, the Jewish nation began. Leah was unattractive. In fact, she was often known as having weak eyes so she couldn't see or she didn't look good through her eyes. Unattractive, Leah. And yet, think of how many families came out of Leah. Then Joseph was abused by his family and others. You think about tremendous dysfunctional family he had. And look what Joseph did. Moses, he stuttered. Elijah was suicidal. He said, I just want to die. So discouraged. And some of you might wrestle with some of those tendencies. Jeremiah was so depressed, he was known as the weeping prophet. And yet God used him mightily. Martha, she worried a lot. She frittered around. Thomas doubted. Jesus doubted all that. Peter, who kept putting his foot in his mouth. Look at what Peter has done. The widow was so poor, but yet she could use a little that she had to do a great thing for kingdom building. Timothy was timid, so timid that he often had to take some kind of medicine. And then you had Paul, who was unhealthy pretty much all the time. And that's just to name a few. So whether it's health or name or emotional ability... It doesn't really matter. All of them were mightily used of God because here's what they did. They took their life and they said, Lord, it's not I, but you. Take my life and make something special out of it. And I can't tell you that you're going to father a great nation. And I can't tell you that out of you, great books will be written. But I can tell you, when you surrender to the Lord, you put yourself as a tool into the hand of God that God will do what he wants and just believe it and be satisfied. 
Just rest in that. That's okay. That's what being a great leader is all about. So it's realizing there are needy people all around you right here and that we can forget about our limitations. Let me give you a third one, being a team player. Being a team player. The two passages I picked out is to show you how that Jesus had to do this by himself because he wasn't a team. He was a team player, but the others weren't a team player. Now, help me with this, if you will, some of you that have been involved in public service. But for a moment here, as I looked at all these gentlemen and, and uh, lady, Belinda, up here in the front, as I looked at them, here's what I saw. First of all, I saw Kaipo up here representing the emergency medical technicians. I cannot for the life of me ever remember seeing an EMT truck go out with only one driver in it. In fact, when I went on the website to look up emergency medical services, city and county of Honolulu, it talked about the level of training that both of those people had to have equally when they went out in that, I guess, bus or whatever they call that. They never went out alone. I got thinking about that. Great servants cannot do it alone. We need a team. Well, let's move away from EMS and we're going to move it into the area of police. When you look at police, they may occasionally be one in a squad car, but often they're going to go out double. If they don't go out together, they are on the radio from the time they receive the call nearly through the entire time they're on the call until they complete the call. They even have special, if you notice how many times they'll have all these antennas out because everybody's able to track them. So no policeman ever is really doing a service call without someone else as backup, even if he has to call them. Now today, I was going to tell you this story about my encounter. It's real benign. But it happened today, so I'm going to share it with you. We're going down the highway, Kalani Aliohole Highway. Say that real fast. And we live off Kuleo'o up Kalealealoi, all right? <laughs> but anyway, as we're going down the highway, we're going by Kalani High School again. And I see two, two police cars. And the guys have the doors open, windows down. And the guys are just yik-yakking with one another. And, I, and I'm driving by. And of course, what do you do when you see two police cars? See, that's implying you are speeding, okay? They said slow down if you didn't hear on this. Generally, what I'll do is I look at my speed limit and then slow down. Okay, so then what I'm doing is I, you know, I go through that. It's almost like, like, like it's kind of like you're a trained dog. You see him, you look. You see him. Sometimes Carol will help me. The policeman, and of course, that's like saying slow down, you know. Not that I'm speeding, relax. So now I'm up on the highway, and as we're going, I'm looking behind me, and there are blue lights flashing as it's just heading at me. And, of course, Carol can see it in the side view mirror. She says, there's a policeman behind you. And I said, yes, I, I, I see that, but everything is cool. I'm fine. So, you know, what you do, you pull over to let him go by. And sure enough, he whizzes by. And then the other squad car whizzes by me. Now, I'm telling you that story to tell you again that police do not do the Lone Ranger thing. They do it together. How many times have you ever seen a huge fire truck or even the small rescue trucks ever have only one fire personnel on it? They always have to. That's why we do need to work together. Teamwork makes the dream work. Now, lest you think that doesn't happen around here, you know that the leadership team went last week, Friday and Saturday. We're now getting ready to leave, and one of our guys, I won't mention his name because I don't want to embarrass him, but I'm sure grateful for the sound and how he makes me sound, accidentally locked his keys in his pick up truck. So what do you do? A bunch of guys, a couple guys says, coat hangers so they run around looking for metal coat hangers so now they're digging coat hangers in this thing and so another guy two guys says you know what i'm going to call my AAA." so they're now figuring out how to call AAA to get out there they're making phone calls and giving numbers 
Another one is going off looking to see if there's anybody else that could help to get this done. Everybody is surrounding this to get this truck, this, this truck unlocked. They even had a fireman that came, a retired fire guy from Albany, Georgia, that was working at the campground where we were at. And so he comes along, and now he tries this thing. Now, we're not talking five minutes. We're talking 45 minutes, maybe an hour, that they're you know, just, just, just ripping up all the you know, door and the glass and everything, trying to get into this thing. He finally gets it open. Now, I'm already headed back to another appointment, so I'm wondering what's happening. Is everything, did the AAA guy come? So I called Jerry about an hour and a half, two hours later. I said, are you okay? Is everything? He said, oh, yeah, I'm home. It's real easy. We got into this thing. This guy came out. And, and we found out that Pastor Dennis knows how to break into a truck with a computer. We found out. He goes online and talks, how do you break into a locked, and I won't mention the truck, Google this thing. And up comes on the screen, not only directions, but a video. A video. How to do this thing. How to lift up the handle, stick two little wires in here, out out it comes. So I want you to know, if you see Pastor Dennis driving a nice new car, you'll know how he got it. That's not my point. Here's my point. Those guys worked hard as a team because one guy had a particular need. Nobody was griping. Nobody was upset. A lot of laughing going on. Sometimes there was some little frustrations we're having to do with a mirror and all this kind of stuff, but they all worked together doing that. Now, I want you to know teamwork does make the dream work when you do work together. For those of you that are now wanting to serve, let me give you some opportunities this way. Married couples can serve together. Carol and I have been serving together for about 43 years since I've gotten saved. There's some joy when you do it together. Brothers and sisters can do that together. Families together can get around a cause. A homebound person needs a meal. Someone shops. The other prepares it. The other one delivers it. We're all in this thing together. We're a band of brothers. We're a band of sisters doing this. Friends can do it. Teams in a church. We can partner in the community. And I got thinking how our public servants could also use our help from time to time. And I heard that we've had a couple of our families, even before we had the event today, you know what they did? The kids got together, they baked cookies, and they delivered them to the fire station. I thought, isn't that cool? I was sharing that with another lady at camp yesterday, and she was saying, you know, sometimes we even make sandwiches and we bring them over to the guys. I thought, isn't that a great thing that they did? It's not an us and them mentality. Let me give you the last one we can end with this, and that is we have to be willing to get our hands dirty. If we're going to be a servant, you've got to get dirty. That means there is going to be some sweat. There is going to be some loss of sleep. We might soil our clothes occasionally, not purposely, but it's going to be some dirt involved. If you remember what Jesus did, he touched the eyes. Other times you remember he got down into the dirt. He spit on the, the dirt, rubbed it in his hands, and he kind of made a paste for the eyes as he touched it. Now we can go through all the reason, the whys, and the wherefore, etc., and there are probably a dozen reasons, but one reason that can't be overlooked is an example to us that sometimes we've got to get dirty. I can only imagine what Jesus Christ looked like after he was beaten, he had to drag and carry his cross, and he probably was in the dirt, and all the other stuff that stuck to his sweaty, bloody skin, how he looked as he was the ultimate servant hanging on the cross for your sin and mine. That's a servant. And so sometimes we have to be willing to get dirty, and the only way we get dirty is to get busy, to do something for someone else, and it does require some dirt. Let me go back to those guys working on, the, on this, this pickup truck. I'm not trying to mention any names because everybody did something in some measure. One of the other guys that was helping out, one of the other pastors, we're standing in the shade because it was so hot on the Waianae coast. I never once saw that guy ever go to the shade or ever go for some water. 
He stood in this blazing heat at 3 o'clock in the afternoon for an hour. I'm going to beat this thing. I'm going to get, you know. And, and there was a challenge. There was an excitement. I'm going to help him. Let's see if we can do it. Not thinking once about how much he was sweating through this whole process. That's called getting your hands dirty for God. Well, those are the four simple principles from the passage. Being aware of needy people that are around you. Forgetting that... Uh, you have limitations, working together as a team, and then getting dirty. Now, those of you that are listening that don't know Christ as Savior, it's easy for you to hear this message, and you might think, ooh, if I want to be a Christian, if I'm a Christian, they've got to work, maybe I've got to do good works and serve to go to heaven and all of that. No, that's the farthest thing away from it. In fact, Jesus, as much taught us to be a servant, he also said, to be saved, you do not work for your salvation. That's why he says going to heaven is not by works of righteousness. But it's according to faith that gets us into heaven. For by grace he is saved through faith that is not of yourself, the gift of God, not of works, as any man should boast. Each one of these public servants that's going to help us, what they will tell us is, relax, let me take care of you. When you are hurting, the technician says, would you just calm down and let me work? If you're in the ocean and you're drowning, the ocean safety people will come to you. They'll say, do not fight me. Lay there. Let me take you. They'll lift our head above the water and he'll bring us into safety. That's another example that to go to heaven, we do not work. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. All we have to do is to say, Jesus, you're the Savior. You are our emergency service technician. You are the one who will prevent us from having eternal fire. You're the one who's going to release us from the bondage of sin. And so, Lord, I am resting totally upon you because you did all the work. It is done. I don't have to wait for God to do any more for me through Christ to go to heaven. It's already done. So all I've got to do is just trust in him. That's that simple. And that's how you have eternal life. Now, the reason I serve is not to get all of that. It's because, hey, he served me. He died on the cross for me. I'm a part of this forever family. And Lord, I want to say thank you. So how can I partner with you and to help other people know you? And that's what it's all about. So being a public servant is like being a Christian servant. A Christian servant is being a public servant. And it's all underneath that for the Lord. Let's pray, shall we? With every head bowed and every eye closed. So I ask you a question. Where will you begin? Is your mate one of those that has a particular need right now for you to carry their load, their workload? Is there really so much a, that's a girl's job, that's a guy's job. Can you do something with your mate? How about your kids? Is there something you can do to come alongside them? They have a need right now. Maybe they don't need more things, they just need more of you. And you kids, how about mom and dad? Are they going through some stuff right now that maybe you could take the trash out, you could do the dishes, you could do the laundry, you could do the ironing, you could do the heavy toting? Can you step up and mature up? That's being a servant. You could do that. And when you do, you're going to feel so good when you do it. And how about your church family? Is there someone in the church family? You know, sometimes we look at those who are homebound or those who are suffering, but some people suffer that aren't sick. Some people, they're carrying all the load because they're doing all the teaching or they're doing all the sweeping or they're doing all the, the cooking for the fellowships that we have. Maybe what you could do is to say, I, I, I'll help you. What can I do? And give them some time, a month, six weeks. That's being a servant to them too. Give them a break. You know, when these fire people go out there, they can't do and stay in the fire 
especially these big, huge forest fires, they got to swap out. These police officers that are on patrol and it's a, it's a, it's a what do you call it, a, a hostage situation. They'll be there for a while, but eventually they've got to swap out. They've got to sleep. And so maybe it's someone in the church family. And secondly, maybe one way we could serve others is not playing the victim card. Sometimes we are always feeling like we need to help and so everybody's running around to help us when maybe we should be the one to help them. So let's be careful to not be so whiny and crying and, and so dependent upon others to prove that they like you because they serve you. Maybe it's to get your tank filled by Jesus who already loves you and your love need is met. And then finally, remembering your model and trusting your model, Jesus Christ. And so maybe right now you'll say, Lord, I believe you died for me and I'm going to trust Jesus Christ to give to me eternal life by faith. You are my Savior. You are my eternal Savior because I am now placing my faith in you and nothing more. Thank you for forgiving me of my sin. This is Joe Pons, and I want to thank you for listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Clarity Christian College. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It's the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. That's makeitclear.org. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please email us at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. That's tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear.